Welcome to Hiring Talent. I'm your host, Marie Ryan. In this podcast, CEOs, HR managers and recruiters share their insights to help you find talented employees. In this episode, Alan Leeson explains how to hire marketing professionals. Alan is a fractional chief marketing officer who specializes in working with SaaS startups. We talk about who your first marketing hire should be, why you should consider working with freelancers as part of your strategy, and what KPIs you should measure. The last couple of years have been tumultuous for everybody, literally everybody. So what do you think is the outlook for startups in 2022? I think if you're in SaaS, you know, it's a very attractive place to be because, you know, software as a service is still a very immature category and most, you know, most verticals or most categories, you know, it's still very much the early days. So I'm, I'm increasingly bullish about prospects for SaaS companies. I mean, there's still a lot of, um, you know, companies out there that are reliant on paper-based manual approaches, Excel, Google Sheets. And I think more and more people are recognizing the value that SaaS can bring to to kind of um, different work processes and workflows that you have. So the early kind of tranche of SaaS companies were very much ones that were very broadly horizontal and that could appeal to pretty much every vertical or sector, whereas now you're getting much narrower solutions. So a very long-winded answer, but I remain extremely optimistic and bullish about prospects for software and SaaS in particular. So um, that's my prediction for next year. I think it'll be um, one of growth and one of um, opportunity, um, but also navigating through an increasingly competitive landscape. So you know, each SaaS company will have its own challenges around how to position um, for success within that context. Yeah, there are still lots of opportunities for SaaS companies. What I always say to people is there's an app for everything. So for the developers, it's just figuring out a problem that hasn't been solved yet by software, if one such exists, or taking an existing model and making it better. So certainly, uh, I'm sure there are lots of opportunities uh, next year. And for companies that are starting out, what are the signs that it's time to invest in marketing? Yeah, great question, Maria. I mean, I think um, it's a complicated question, right, in, in, in a number of ways, right? So it depends whether you're bootstrapped or, or, or kind of venture capital backed. And then if you're VC backed in Ireland and the UK, it means a very different thing to being VC backed in the US. So in the US, you typically get checks that are, are 10 times larger, right? So, you know, it's an easy thing to say that, you know, you should throw as much marketing resource at, at it as soon as you can. Um, but obviously there's commercial implications of it. And this is why SaaS is kind of a fascinating area to work because, you know, there are unit economics at play. And in some ways you've got to invest in sales and marketing up front and the payoff can take take a number of years to, um, to kind of pay off, right? What I would say is I think you have to have some marketing input from, from very early stages. Um, and even picking your domain name or getting a basic website or messaging on it, it's tempting to kind of, just have the CEO organize those elements. But I think getting some specialist marketing advice early on um, is really important. So I'd be advocating getting it, you know, as soon as you've got some resources. But again, it could be freelance. It doesn't have to be a full-time hire at that point. And then the other kind of point to be aware of is in the early phases, you definitely don't want a growth marketing person. So it's not about going crazy in lead gen. 
it's got to be more on product marketing. So those early marketing um, areas for focus need to be on things like speaking to customers, understanding their pains, you know, understanding whether the features that your solution has adequately solves for those pains, messaging it accordingly, and then positioning yourself in the marketplace, which would probably have other competitors there. So that's kind of how I would think about those early stages. So who do you think should be the first hire when companies are ready to invest in marketing? Um, I think, you know, if if you've got through that kind of product, so right at the start, right, as I mentioned, some freelance support, prob, prob, probably someone with product marketing experience initially, they're not 10 a penny, they're hard to find. So you might just get a freelance um, product marketing person to help you really crack your initial phase of some some initial messaging you know making sure that you're understanding the pain of the market that you're talking to as many customers or prospects as you can um and then when you're kind of comfortable with that phase and perhaps you've got some cash flow from existing customers perhaps you've taken a check you know your first hard end probably needs to be a jack or jill of all trades very much a generalist that can kind of turn their hand to many things so do you think that companies starting out in marketing should begin with freelancers rather than establishing an in-house team or working with experienced agencies? Yeah, great point again. Um, I mean, I would be advocating, again, it depends on the budget, right? If you've just raised a seed, seed round of 5 million, you're going to have a different approach than if you're bootstrapping, right? Or if you've got a, you know, a seed of 50K. So again, that's the kind of dilemma you have. And, you know, my experience mostly in the UK and Ireland is the teams are pretty small for the first few years, often until you get to almost Series B. So I think um, I'm not going to advocate which is the best approach because it depends on cash flow, depends on, you know, appetite for risk, investment. Um, but the beauty of the freelance um, sort of side is that you can, of course, dial it up or dial it down. You can bring in specialists um, as and when you need. And actually, that's a model that I work with very successfully with most of my clients, whereby, you know, I can bring people in. If I need a PPC expert, I can bring one in. If I need a um, visual design expert, I can bring one in. If I need a UI UX specialist. And in those early years, I tend to kind of go to um, freelancers rather than consultancies, largely because the freelancers are just a bit more affordable, right? And again, you're trying to protect cash flow. But I'm curious whether you have a view, Marie, right? You're, you're working in marketing in Harhive, right? Which is a, a fast-growing SaaS startup. Um, you're a full-time hire. Um, I mean, how, how would you view building it out? Do you, do you think that, do you rely on freelancers or do, do, do you kind of plan to build out your own team? Um, for your first hire, I think it's a good idea to hire someone with a marketing expertise. So whether that's a marketing executive and then you train, invest in training, or hire a marketing manager and just let them off, let them be your key advisor. And then, of course, there's your situation too, hiring an expert or a marketing consultant, a CMO to advise you. So you have that expertise. Freelance is great, but... People often think that you can get freelancers, freelancers very, very cheaply. So you'll see people going to Upwork and Fiverr and you often get what you pay for. Whereas if you want a freelance SEO specialist, you will pay for it and you should pay for it. It's certainly less expensive than hiring an agency. But if you're going to go down the freelance route, they are professionals. Um, yeah, you get what you pay for. So that would be 
Um, that would be what I would think. And then like that, if you had a marketing person, they'd be well advised to say this freelancer is charging too little. They're probably not as good as we think. Whereas um, this freelancer is an expert. We should invest in them and pay uh, a fair amount for their services. So, I, I think, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, the freelancers I use, they're, they're, um, they've got nice day rates, but they're experts in their field. And I, I don't typically use an Upwork or Fiverr type um, play because, you know, I understand the value, particularly with B2B where I work, where you got to have, you know, it, it's pixel perfect. You know, you, you, you don't get as many eyeballs to your websites as B2C companies. So therefore, you know, you got to bring these experts in and, and you're absolutely right. You, you, you got to pay, but you, you recognize that the alternative is, you know, not a very palatable one, right? And, and that you'll often have to fix things, you know, with, with some of the, the, the kind of cheaper versions. And um, the other thing I think that's, that's worth throwing into the mix is that you do need someone to do the execution, right? There, there's no point hiring a senior chief and having no, you know, nobody to do the work right. So, so I think that's the other nuance. You, you know, you, you don't want to bring in a freelancer or, or a chief marketing officer if there's nobody to, to do what they recommend you do right, because what they'll do is they'll create a list of things to do and you need someone to do it right. You, you don't want to be paying that senior resource to try and, I don't know, do SEO on the website or, or to create illustrations for the, the landing pages. So that's an important point that you don't want to bring that senior person if there's nobody to do the delivery. Yeah, I think sometimes people can speak to consultants and they get the advice, but then they have no one to implement it. Right. So that can right. be a bit of a trap for people too. Absolutely. And, and it's an expensive one because you then get quite frustrated, right? Because the consultant, as they will do, they will, if you know, if they're any good, will be interrogating the data, looking at Google Analytics, looking at Google Search Console, they'll be trying to come up with areas to improve, right? So they will come up with a long list of things that you need to fix. And yeah, it can be very frustrating then if you don't get the value, right? You, you learn more and, and you learn more about the problems, but you don't have a commercially va valid way to kind of fix it in the short term. So that's definitely one to watch. Yeah, I think there is a temptation, particularly in smaller companies to say, ah, sure, I'll do that myself. So they might reach out to someone, get advice and then literally not have the time to implement any of it. And if you do that across different departments, you have a ton of advice, but you're not able to move any of it forward. So, yeah, I think it's very important to have people to actually implement it and then pay accordingly uh, and make sure the work is done. Yeah, but the other point that you, you've kind of flagged, which is one to watch, is that people under appreciate marketing, right? So, so often you'll get, um, we can do it ourselves. And I've seen classic cases. I've seen one example whereby they thought content was pretty straightforward. We just write some content and they've been blogging probably for two or three years um, on their website without ever knowing this concept of search engine optimization or SEO, right? And they hadn't, when I looked at Google Analytics, there was very little traffic. So for all that work and effort, they didn't understand meta titles, meta descriptions, H1s, URL optimization, internal linking. You know, they thought content, this is easy. We get, go write some stuff. But the reality was Google Analytics showed nobody was reading the content because they weren't promoting it, but they hadn't it structurally set up in a way that meant that it was easy for Google to read, which meant it wasn't showing up in search engines. So it was a kind of a really an example of, you know, it's not as obvious, obvious as it seems and, and specialists will bring in that expertise that um, that is needed because otherwise you can 
you know, have a lot of wasted effort. And that's just one example. But in terms of marketing strategy, what are the vanity metrics that you see people focusing too much of their efforts on? Yeah, I mean, look, page impressions is one, right? Um, again, it comes from Google Analytics and you're trying to use Google Analytics as a proxy for, for kind of um, understanding the, the landscape, right? And really, you know, page views, session times, a lot of the stuff actually you get in Google Analytics is um, kind of vanity metrics. Um, and the other issue that crops up that's linked to it is that people don't appreciate this notion of filters. So, you know, if you've got a website and you look in Google Analytics and you think, okay, we've got 5,000 views a month, but, you know, there'll be bot traffic that needs to be filtered out. So there'll be bots hitting the website. There might be a sign-in button on your website. So there could be lots of people coming back to sign in on a regular basis. You could have an office of 100 people. You know, they're all logging into the website or hitting the website on a daily basis. Um, you could have traffic from places that you're not commercially active in it, right? So you'll get a lot of traffic from India. There's over a billion people there, but it may not be a place that you've got um, a commercial offering that's valid. So, you know, the reality then is your traffic is probably way lower if you look at it through the lens of traffic that you could convert into a sale. Um, so there are lots and lots of them out there. I, I think it's really trying to be as narrow as you can on a few conversion metrics. Um, and back to a point that you mentioned earlier, actually, Marie, is, you know, B2B SaaS is complicated. It's not just about attracting people to your site. You then need to convert them, right? So then can you get them converting to take a demo or to start up? But then you've got to retain them, right? And you can't neglect that piece either. You, you want to make sure that you're equally... Um, you know, allocating your time and your sort of priorities on, on, on making sure that you're not spending too much time on one and creating a leaky bucket where you're bringing in, let's say, a lot of traffic and you're not really watching the conversions of it or maybe they're converting, but they're not sticking around, in which case they're churning, which is just a really bad scenario for you. Yeah. So what are the most important um, conversion metrics or metrics in Google Analytics that you think SaaS companies should watch out for? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's always there's a number of things you can look at. I, I like to look at quite a few different things. So I look like look geography is always interesting to try and understand where people are coming from. Um, I do very rarely use it in isolation, so I'll normally hook it up to um, to Google Data Studio. I look at Google Search Console in, in, in kind of tandem. I look at Google Ads, so I'll try and blend it from a few different sources. Um, it kind of plays out to the, the very simple thing that you're trying to establish is where did that lead come from? Or actually, more specifically, where did that sale come from? So that's kind of ultimately the, the kind of area you need to focus on, so just say the sales team have closed a, a new lead, um, you know, you need to understand the attribution. Um, where did that lead come from? And of course, it sounds like a very straightforward concept. It is not. It is a really, really challenging area. And of course, one of the difficulties we have in Europe is a lot of the content that's written about things like attributions coming from American authors, whereby they're used to a completely different context. The context is resource abundance versus resource constraints. So there might be five or 10 in their team. They're probably using the latest tech stacks. In Europe, you could have one or two in your team. You may not have a data scientist. You may not have the latest tech. So 
<coughs> so there's some of the things to think about. I think one of the uh, one of the areas that people like to look at is where something came from, but that doesn't tell you the true picture. So like that, if you got something, if you got a click from an ad, and that wound up becoming a cost, that person wound up becoming a customer. What led to them being there in the first place? What were they searching for? What problem were they trying to solve? That, I yeah, think, no. is the key to marketing and any marketing strategy. What problems are you solving for your customer and what problem is the customer looking to solve? They're not always exactly the same thing. Like, for example, in HireHive, we're, we provide applicant tracking software. If you've never heard of that before, you're not going to go to the search engine and say, give me applicant tracking software. Uh, you might look at things like, how do I reduce the time spent on recruitment? How do I improve interviewees experience or something like that? So it's, um, so marketers need to understand what problem their customers are trying to solve, then serve them, think about where they are and come up with content to reach them there in their language, I think. You're absolutely right. And, and kind of one of the, the big problems with marketers, if you go back to the context I painted earlier, is we don't spend enough time on customer calls, right? It's the, it's the big problem because you've got a thousand things to do, right? Um, and that disconnect is kind of all too obvious. People are more likely to spend time in, in Google Analytics than listening to calls. So one of the ways that I've kind of hacked to fix for that is um, most of my clients, you know, we have dedicated Slack channels. And sales and customers' um, success would be, you know, mandated to start typing in um, messaging that they're hearing. So what are they hearing on calls? And interestingly, you know, one client recently, you know, we spotted things like keywords. So that, so that they were using keywords and um, that we had not written content about. So we had a very kind of streamlined process whereby, you know, as as kind of inquiries came in, we look at the the nature of the inquiry. What were they describing their pain? As to your point, what were they? or the language they were using. And then on the call notes, we were also capturing that data, which then fed into our calendar or editorial calendar. So, you know, I had a really great success recently whereby we identified some keywords that we hadn't any content on the website for. We hadn't been ranking for those keywords because we'd no content for them, but we spotted the trend. A number of people used that terminology. We then created content for it. We optimized it from an SEO point of view. And lo and behold, a couple of months later, it's you know on the first page of Google and bringing us in decent traffic. So I think you're you're absolutely right. That kind of that that kind of ability to understand the pain, understand the language, and have marketing you know take that to to kind of create value is hugely important in terms of creating content. But that needs to be closed by this feedback loop from the from the front line. And if you can't get to sit on these calls because, you, you know, you've got other priorities, you've got to have an active Slack channel where um, notes from calls are being dropped in that you can see them and, and then take action based on them. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there needs to be cohesion and definitely communication and a relationship between marketing and sales and marketing and customer success so that the prospect and customers are all getting the same messaging. If that happens and if it's aligned, then your customers will become your biggest sales tool. And one thing I recommend, um, it's related to social proof. So you're obviously going to say that your business is brilliant. Of course you would. You're paid to. 
um, your customers aren't. <laughs> so when they're um, advocating and giving good reviews, that will do a lot more for the sales and marketing than you talking about how brilliant your company ever will. So if you're in a SaaS startup, you can speak to your customers and then get testimonials and reviews and, and try and write them as openly as possible so that you're not leading the conversation. They can say and write whatever they like. If you do that, you get really good social proof for your website that you can use as part of your blog content, your email strategy and social media and possibly even YouTube, um, which is, of course, part of social media. Um, equally, you're getting their pain points, the words that they use, the problems they were trying to solve and the way that they describe it. And then you can use that in your marketing and messaging. You'll get a lot more from that than you ever would from analytics or from analyzing the data that's already on your website. Yeah, look, I'd agree, right? I think it's a great point. I'd go one step further. I think, you know, use G2 or Captera, pick on pick one of those and decide which one of those is the one that you're going to invest time in. Because again, if you're a smaller company, you can't do all of these. So pick one. Um, you may want to even incentivize people. So I'll often do a 50 you know, euro donation to charity to incentivize because you do need to get this social proof up and people are very busy so it's hard to get right it's also very important if your application is in one that's the you know in the us right because captera g2 get up software advice they tend to be kind of key um sites people to go to for categories that are quite busy they will go there and try and understand what the reviews say but you're right you'll often see language crop up in the in the in, in the way the customers you know, frame their, their answers. But you can also get insights from competitors, right? You can look at the competitors and see how people are messaging about them. What are the negative things that they're saying about them? Um, which ultimately get back to, I think, a really crux point, right? That every SaaS startup nowadays is working in a category that is either busy or will get busy pretty quickly. And therefore, how do you stand out from the crowd? Because features become easy to replicate, right? So really then it's around positioning and messaging and there are areas that have probably been neglected it goes back to an earlier point in the call they're often ones that might have been the ceo just typed something out and stuck it up there when actually it becomes very nuanced and what you're trying to do is enable the buyer to navigate a very complex world so you want to make sure that they can understand how your you know solution meets their needs but also how it compares against some of the other choices that they're comparing you against, particularly if there's a large um, incumbent in the room. So there's some of the things to think about. And when you're setting up all of the marketing, how do you estimate a budget? Yeah, look, that's a, that's, that's a really great question. And again, it depends on lots of things, right? So I kind of go back to the stage of life in your business, right? Are you um, really in the early stages? Are you kind of more established and ready to scale up? Um, have you got a track record? Have you not got a track record? Um, do you understand your unit economics? Do you understand your lifetime value? Do you understand your customer acquisition cost? Um, if you have some of those data points, you can then you can then make a call on it. It depends on your cash flow and your funding. Are you VC backed? Are you bootstrapped? Um, you know, so so these really are the things that you need to be thinking about. There's no easy way of just saying this is how you do it because of course you have to consider your own particular context um, and of course we all want playbooks we all want recipes but the reality is is that SAS is so nuanced it depends on 
you know, d does the growth trajectory of the company, is it one that is, you know, one that is organic? Or, or is there someone willing to write a check and, and, and underpin you and say, you know what, we're not really interested in, in profit. We're interested in, in, in uh, winner takes all. Therefore, we want to be extremely aggressive. We want you to buy up everything you can. So these are all the things. But I guess the, the answer to it is it's got to be in a discussion with the CFO or CEO rather than done in isolation. Because if you try and do it in isolation, you can either put in too much budget, too less. Um, so you really got to understand their motivations for the business. Because, of course, the challenge is that the marketing and sales is up front and the revenue comes in in drips and drabs into the future, right? And that's why it stresses cash flow, and that's why unit economics is important, but that's why you need to be talking to the CFO to kind of unpack what's the best route for this. Generally, how long does it take to see a return on investment for marketing investments? I, I, again, you know, there's no easy way to answer that because, of course, you know, what activity are you talking about? Is it overall? Is it, you know, what what's the sales cycle like? What's the kind of, you know, pattern of behavior for users? Do they come and use you for six months and disappear into the sunset or do they stay with you for three, four, five years? So these are all the sort of things that you need to think about that, that all kind of play into it. Um, what I would say, though, is, you know, unfortunately, marketing is a kind of a long-term game, right? So, you know, that can be disconnect quite quickly if there's an expectation of immediate results. And look, content is a great example, um, as is outbound sales activity, right? So if you look at those two activities, outbound sales activity can also fit under the marketing umbrella. You've got to view them through a six to, to nine month window, right? You can't be writing a blog now and expecting that it's going to generate leads. In fact, it probably takes a year of consistent writing to get a return. But it goes back to the nuance that I mentioned earlier. If you don't understand SEO and you don't understand the personas that you're writing for, and if you don't understand how to amplify and promote the content, it's going to tell a, take you a lot longer. Similarly, if you want to spin up some quick wins, you can put some cash into Google Ads, which becomes a lot more easy to manage and attribute and probably get a more immediate return. But that is likely to be costly, expensive, and, and sort of... Um, you know, gives you more immediate payoff, but a lot more expensive than a, than a longer-term content play. How do you think about it, actually, Marie? I'm just curious as to how you think about um, measuring it. Um, well, in terms of the turnaround, when I searched for this, the standard stock answer provided by Google is six to nine months. For me, I take comfort in that because it means that I can share it with uh, my boss and give myself that leeway. Generally, I found returns much quicker and there's going to be signs that it's working really well, depending on whatever your strategy is. So if your strategy is I'm going to do Google ads, of course, you can see the results from that very, very quickly. If your strategy is I'm going to build our network on social media, you'll see the follower account, you'll see the clicks, you'll see the engagement, you'll see what people like and what people don't. So um, I think you will get the, the signs much quicker if a strategy is working or not. But yeah, in terms of um, the transformation that marketing does, it does take a lot longer, six to nine months anyway, but for usually between a year and a year and a half to see the full effect of a marketing strategy, I think. Yeah, and look, you spin things in parallel, right? You you, you don't pick just one, right? You, you kind of, if you have the capacity, you keep a number of things going like these podcasts are an example there the payoff may not be immediate but the point is they help create content they create value people listen people understand people 
engage with the content. They see that Higher Hive is interested in, you know, educating the, the target audience that would be interested in applicant tracking system. Um, whether you can attribute it back to, to it in, in a few months, who knows, right? But that's kind of part of the journey. You can't just rely on Google Ads as the, the only means to, um, to bring in, you know, leads and traffic. Yeah. And for me, I've always found it, um, it effective if you create useful and helpful content as opposed to being overly salesy. So that would be part of why we create blogs and podcasts so that hopefully people will find it useful. And when they listen to it, they'll be able to take something away that they can use in their own roles. Um, right. I've found that they're really overly advertising things like we're brilliant look at us people tend not to engage with it and it turns people off right away so in terms of an overall SaaS marketing strategy um, I'd focus on the customer focus on what they're interested in their persona and create content around them then eventually you'll engage with them and I think you'll do a lot more for your brand than you would through um, PPC ads yeah I mean I take it one step further right I think there's there's two philosophies that I that I kind of take is one is can you get your ideal customer profile promoted, right? So can you help them get promoted, right? So if they buy your solution and, and it deployed successfully and save lots of time and save lots of cost, they may get promoted. Secondly, can you fix problems they have? Like it's all about helping people solve problems. If they're your philosophies, you'll go a long way. If you're looking for a quick buck, you're in the wrong business. So B2B SaaS, the North Star for me personally is help solve problems and get them promoted. Simple as that. Working on that, producing content that that kind of sits in those two buckets, because you're not in the business of you know you know newsworthy content or um, making people laugh. I mean, content has different forms, right? Whereas B two B SaaS com content typically sits in an education bucket. So if you know if, if the broad kind of attempt is education, go even narrower, help them fix the problems that they have, and help them get promoted. Having those two as your your north star kind of content pillars will get you a long way. Yeah, um, of course I'm familiar with the concept of solving a problem, but I hadn't considered getting the person promoted. Um, that's really interesting. So basically, you want to help the person to look good in front of their boss. Absolutely, and I'm sorry I borrowed that um, example. I think from Tom Tungus, who's a US VC. And he talks about being in the business of selling promotions. And he, I think he uses it in the context of sales, but I think it equally applies to marketing. That, you know, if you look at it through that lens, you, you want to, you know, help the buyer, you know, look well in front of the boss. But how do they look well? By making a sensible decision. They back a right piece of software. They've deployed it successfully and they're getting value from it. And they do that with other things. Then, you know, they're more likely to be, you know, on a growth trajectory within their career. So that's kind of the philosophy, which I think is a good one. And when you're hiring people um, in marketing for your SaaS startup, what qualities do you typically look for? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, there's a few, right? Get stuff done. You, you know, like startups in B2B SaaS are not for everybody, right? Let's just kind of also just speak about that for a second. They are high octane, high energy, demanding, um, you know, resource constrained and exhilarating, lots of autonomy. So they're a real mixed bag, right? But they're not for everybody. And I remember one pretty unsuccessful hire I had earlier in my career. They were treating it as more like a grad program where they were going to spend lots of time on research, whereas the reality of it is that, you know, we needed to make 
sales, right? We needed to generate leads. So for me, you know, this um, bias for action, get stuff done, ability to prioritize, and a real passion for what you do. They're the kind of qualities that I look for. I'm not really that interested in academic credentials, um, but I am interested in, in a digital footprint, right? If they want to work in marketing and SaaS, I want to see that they've either got a website or they've got a social media account or that they've got a decent looking LinkedIn account or that they've taken some credentials from HubSpot or Google to demonstrate that they're they're serious about their um, their career. Ah, so you'd look at either the work they've done or the work they're willing to do and possibly ask them to complete a project during the interview process, right? Um, I'll do a few simple things, right? I'll... I'll um, I'll usually ask them, so if we talk about content, you know, what you get sometimes is quite funny, right? They're, people are great at everything, right? And they're good at Google Ads and they're good at analytics and they're good. So I'll often say, look, just send me through your, your, your last two blogs um, if you can by five o'clock this evening. Um, and that, you know, some people don't do it. And if they don't do it, that's a filter for me, right? It was a simple instruction. If you didn't know my email, ask me my email, but it was on the calendar invite. Um, if you've written two good blogs, just send them to me. If you haven't, don't. So, so that's kind of, the, you know, harsh, but, you know, I need to see evidence, right? In these early stages when you're hiring someone, they don't have much work experience, you know, for the junior hires. Um, you know, so, so you've got to, but people can do courses. You can do HubSpot courses for free. You can do Google Ads courses for free. You can do Google Analytics courses for free. You can write a blog on Medium. They're the sort of skills you're going to need in a B2B SaaS role. So I need to see evidence of them because you can do them now. There's no point. You know, these environments are kind of quite demanding, right? You know, I find them very exhilarating, but they're demanding and, and you don't really have time for huge amounts of learning on the job. Of course, they will be learning for the early hires, right? But, you know, can you write or can you not write? You know, if you can write, let, let's see some evidence, right? So, so there's some of the things. I'm less interested in your academics. I'm more interested in, you know, what I'd call the digital footprint, you know, if I Google you, can I find a couple of things you've written or can I find a website or can I find on your LinkedIn that you've got some, you know, courses taken? If I can't, you know, I'll rather talk to the candidate that's come in, you know, half an hour later that may not have gone to college, but, you know, has got their own website and they've written some content. There's a point of view on it and they've got a good LinkedIn account with lots of connections and they've got some credentials up there. You could ask them, you know, who do they listen to in podcasts related to marketing or what blogs do they read? And again, you should be hearing things like Eric Shu or Neil Patel or Avanish or, or whoever, right? So you want to try and, and why, why this, right? Because the reality is, is that these are tough environments. You're hiring somebody in a resource constrained context whereby you need to get stuff done. You know, it's not a grad program. You don't have huge amounts of time as a manager, right? It is very time pressed, as you know. There's a prioritization list with thousands of probably things that need to get done. And, you know, this is kind of the point. SaaS and B2B is complicated. It's exhilarating. It's exhausting. It's a real mix of things. And you've you got to be fairly tough on these initial kind of pre-screening interviews because, you know, it, it's not for everybody. And, and, of course, in the early days, people aren't equipped enough to understand whether it's for them. And, and you, you know, you've you got to be fair to them, too, because, you know, it's not in anybody in, anybody's interest to, um, to kind of be in, in a role that's just not really cut out for them. How do you hire digital marketing professionals? So what are some of the things I do, right? I think your network is key. I think um, trying to 
forge relationships with local universities and colleges is important using your network do you use an agency or a recruiter i mean i'm afraid not i don't think so right i think um i think um you know it's a look recruitment is, is a very competitive market there's lots and lots out there so how do you know which recruiter to go with um obviously cork if it's cork is it remote is it dublin it's not easy um but it can be done right i mean you know i have hired a number of um b2b SaaS people over the years um in ireland and the uk i think the key is you you just make concessions and things so you might be looking for b2b you might be looking for SaaS. you might be looking for someone that's had a digital marketing background in some capacity you might be looking for someone that's from the industry you're in and you might be lucky to get one of those four right so then you're kind of really hiring on on expectation right so you're looking for things like fast learner you know and then you're looking for all the competencies that i talked about earlier so you're literally making a concession saying you know what there are just not that many out there that are b2b SaaS marketing from your industry you know with three or four years and therefore um you know you're looking at um you're looking at sort of um, trying to make concessions are you you know you you could go direct in some instances too and you know that would be if you had people in comparable sectors and you thought actually you just make a direct approach and say actually you know maybe that person's two years in, in a junior marketing role maybe there is a head of marketing in in situ therefore you know they may not be waiting you know willing to wait the years to get to that senior role so maybe you approach them how do companies without marketing expertise hire marketing professionals how do people hire marketing um you know i i think you do need you know this is where a freelancer could come in to help right you you do need someone to kind of um, help shape that initial hire right so it goes back to my earlier point around you know, I see crazy stuff, right? People looking for growth hackers, right? And they're six months old. And I'm like, you know, okay, you've raised a seed check, but a growth hacker is not the person that you need. Um, you know, at this stage, you know, you don't have a, a product in the marketplace. You need you need a different skill set. So I think, you know, my message is, is get access to somebody that is in B2B SaaS marketing and get them to sort of give you some steer as to kind of what you're looking for. I, I mean, I'll give you another example, which I think is, is again, the sorts of things that can happen is, you know, you can get, you know, you can put a role out there and you can be seduced by people coming from the Googles and the LinkedIn's and the Apple's of this world. The reality is they're the worst hire for your B2B SaaS company because they're coming from resource abundance into resource constraint. They're coming from being a, a tiny cog in a huge wheel to needing to be autonomous. They're coming from, you know, a template and playbook that's been around and is sent over from the US to having to write their own one. So there are some of the pitfalls that you can fall into if you haven't had this external perspective from somebody that sort of knows the context. Look, look at the starting point. It could be just a couple of chats with people, right, in your network. So, you know, like everything, use your network effectively, you know, so if there's people, you know, that are in your network that can help you. I think, I think it goes back to kind of an earlier point in the conversation, right, that marketing is viewed very different from technology you know a ceo is kind of going to think of technology you know in a different way they're going to i don't really know about it therefore i'm going to have to do a different route in terms of hiring so i'm making assumptions that the ceo is a non-technical founder and then they think with marketing oh i kind of get this roughly so therefore it doesn't have to be like technology i don't really need to worry about the spec we can just hire anybody 
And that's, I guess, the key, key point that I'm making is that it is a specialist discipline and therefore it needs due consideration and it needs to be something that you get input in because otherwise, going back to my earlier point, you can bring in some junior marketing person and you've no clue if they're doing a good job or if they're doing a bad job. You've no clue as if you just see a blog on the site, you have no idea if they've done SEO on it, whether they've used the right content management system, whether they've indexed it in Google Search Console, whether they're promoting it. You have no way of knowing, right? So this is kind of what I'm getting at is that, you know, you need to have someone in the wheelhouse that can at least have a conversation and give you a steer. It doesn't have to be a full, fully fledged paid consultant, but all you need to know is that it's not as straightforward as you may think. And therefore, um, you know, it's not a quick fix, quick, fast track, you know, let's just get anybody in, you know, someone that's coming out of college, let's just slot them in. And I see it, right? I see it happening. I see, you know, people bringing in, because um, I think it's just, just write a blog and, and we're kind of done and just change a few things on the site. But the point is, it's a lot more sophisticated than that. And, um, you know, you, you, you suffer at your peril if, if, you, if you choose to go down a route that isn't really thinking of marketing as a kind of a specialist discipline that's very nuanced. Um, and look, I see it. People don't have Google Analytics installed or they don't have Google Search Console or they've never looked at it. They don't know what it is. And that's fine. They may not need to, but somebody needs to know because they go back to my old story of you could be blogging for two or three years and if you haven't done it properly, if you have done it properly, you're likely to see strong organic growth. So you know what your keywords are. You've optimized for them. You've got a deliberate content strategy. You you know, you use tools like SEMrush and Ahref to help you navigate the content world or the alternative is someone junior is just throwing up some blogs and the box is being ticked that we're producing content very very different scenarios one will help you succeed one is really working um you know the vanity metric point is doing work but we're not really measuring the output or the impact yeah for me the biggest determiner of success in SaaS marketing is two things it's consistency and patience it takes a long time to see the result, and if you don't have marketing expertise on hand and you hire somebody junior, if you're not seeing those fast, quick wins, you might change tack. And then if you don't see fast, quick wins there, you'll change again and again. And you, there's a danger that you'll never stick at any one thing long enough to see the return on investment or to see it be successful. It's a brilliant point, right? I mean, tenure for marketing leads is... Um is two years probably, right, at most. Uh, it's one of the motivations as to why I went out into, into freelancing because I could see that, you know, that there was always this VC-backed... B2B SaaS will typically have, you know, investment. I know Hive is probably slightly different, but most will have some sort of vc back backing because the unit economics are such that you sort of... You burn cash, and as you grow, you want to go faster, you burn more cash. So... So that's an external party that are going to put demands on, on, on the CEO, which will mean there'll be demands on needs and sales and it'll come back to marketing. But you're right. I, I mean, marketeers get churned out way too quickly um, and on trumped up reasons, right? And, and it's kind of a bugbear of mine when they can be doing phenomenal jobs, right? And, and, and sort of, but, you know, they're often the fall guy or girl, right? Because... You know, they're usually not the co-founder. The co-founder may be a, a commercial lead like a CEO or it could be a tech lead. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's one of the things. And, and I sometimes shudder when, when, when people move marketers on too quickly because you, you lose the domain expertise as well, right? And, and sort of, you know, I've been in scenarios where we've been hiring candidates that are way inferior to the candidate that was, was moved on. 
um, and you lose the expertise as well. So it is it is a very um, interesting one, I think, um, yeah. to say the least. It sounds like marketing is being scapegoated in those cases, as in the investors aren't getting the results they want, so they just blame marketing uh, and then <laughs> cover themselves for another six months or so until they get more funding, right? Well, there's a bit of a dance, right? You're kind of in, in an interesting area, right? That's what I would call the product sales marketing dance, right? So, you know, if the product is truly phenomenal, right, and is, is kind of got a clear position in the marketplace and is, you know, top quadrant in um, in uh, Gartner or is G2 five stars all the way um, and is a category leader, interesting to market in that world. If it's missing lots of core features, are is you know inadequate in some way compared to its peers hard to market in that situation um you know so there typically is a dance and blame culture is the wrong way but it's you know it can be quite tricky whereby sales want more leads or they want better quality and marketing might be budget constrained it might be resource constrained the product may not be not be there so there's this kind of dance that goes on um i'm sounding quite kind of negative on it but but like the reality is is that you've used this phrase a few times as patience, right? It, it, like SaaS companies take a while to go. Um, they take a time to get there. And, you know, this is where there's an, you know, an inherent flaw in the model, right? Is that there's this short-term commercial pressure versus the, the reality of the marketplace. And, look, you know, I'm very commercial, right? I'm very data-driven and, and sort of, um, but it, it's nuanced, right? And, and sort of, you, you know, it's... Um, it is an, an ongoing dialogue needed with with the with the kind of commercial team or the the C suite to keep the dialogue going and and sort of um, you know explain the context and uh, but the good news right is that the the general trend is for fast growing SaaS is fast growing and there's good unit economics and there's good growth opportunities and when it does work out you're then on a kind of flywheel to success it's just it can be painful in the early years. Um, where you know you're trying to manage cash flow um, and expectations and um, the commercial realities of the need for growth, right? So it is it is very finely balanced. And after your first hire, how do you know when it's time to scale the team and hire more people? Yeah, I mean, again, the conversation with CFO and CEO because you know each hire could throw fifty or hundred k onto the onto the the, 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 the books, right? Um, when you kind of bundle everything in. Um, there is an argument that most SaaS companies, when they look back, those successful ones, you know, hired more aggressively, right? They, they kind of were, were less conservative and, and they hired more aggressively. So they kind of hired before the, the indicators were telling them that it was time to hire. Um, so what, what I would say is it is a very difficult hiring environment I mentioned earlier. So you've got to hire earlier. Um, and... Um, but if you need a short-term boost from freelancers, there are agencies that can, can, can kind of help spike, you, you know, leads if that's what you're trying to do. And the other thing I think is, is if you're beginning to see decent traction, so if you're getting, you know, a decent volume of inbounds um, and, you know, you've got a clear proposition that's resonating with the market, I think, you know, that's a signal then to kind of really put the boots down in terms of your marketing. But again, it goes back to, there are different, you know, issues that you need to reflect upon. There could be a an American well-backed VC, well-backed um, VC-led company in your space, and you probably want to avoid going toe-to-toe -to -toe with them because paid acquisition and branding come into play, and they're expensive, right? So 
you know, um, this is why a lot of my answers are, it kind of really depends on the context. You know, it's very hard to give broad brush generalizations. You got to think about certain ideas, but you got to then view them through your own lens. So again, you know, things like, are you well backed? Do your VCs believe it's a winner takes all type environment, in which case they're willing to, um, you, you know, invest for growth without worrying about profitability? Or is it a case where you have to grow profitably, in which case you've got to really manage cash flow? So there's some of the things to be thinking about. Great. And when you're hiring for a marketing role, how long does it typically take? You know, I would typically say a three to six month window. But again, the range can be, you know, either way, depending on how well networked you are, how well kind of you're connected. Um, and also, you know, how well, if you have an employer brand or not, right? So again, if you're really early, you may have a very weak online digital footprint, right? So you're going to struggle to attract top talent, you know, particularly in Ireland, right? There's an awful lot of, you know, people joining the likes of Salesforce, LinkedIn, Apple, you know, huge amounts going into those sort of companies. So it, it will depend on where you're located, how attractive the comp plan is, um, how aggressive you go, whether you use, um, you know, paid tools to get it in front of people, whether there's bounties, whether you're willing to go direct. What should the interview process look like for marketing roles? I typically use, um, again, a freelancer to do the initial piece for me. Um, so they will do the job posting. They will do the promotion through different channels. They'll use an, an ATS like Harhive or equivalent. Um, so I tend to kind of outsource that piece. Obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll contribute to it in terms of what we're, we're looking for. But I, you know, will typically try and have them do that piece of work. I'll have them do an initial discovery call to check things like salary expectation, availability, um, where they're located, those sort of things. So then I'm really only getting past a few candidate CVs with notes from calls to then sort of help me shortlist. Um, I'll then we'll, we'll, we'll do a, you, you know, a call. I tend not to really go through CVs, um, you know, in terms of on the call. So it's not a case of tell me what you did here or looking at your academic credentials. It's more around what I call a competency-based call. Do they kind of, can they articulate that they understand what, what, what we're kind of looking for? Um, then I'll do that kind of little test that I mentioned at the start of the call, just a simple heuristic, you know, those that reply, great, they've listened to simple instruction, they've acted upon it. Those that don't or, or, or miss the deadline, that ain't going to cut it. You, you know what I mean? You need some harsh heuristics like this, right? You can't, you can't, um, function otherwise, right? Um, and then they'll often be, you know, sometimes the CEOs, if it's, if it's early days, the CEOs will want to kind of talk to them. Often that would be an in-house at that point, you know, we're, we're all working remotely at the moment, but that would be a face-to-face. -face. But there's usually a few tasks. I have a list of five or six tasks that I typically um, provide. And again, the, the recruiter freelance person would run those. Um, so the candidate would need to come in for um, an hour or two to do those could be including writing a blog, right? So it'll be, here's a title for a blog. You've got an hour, let's see how you get on. Because again, a lot of the roles are, are content-based and, you know, you need to, to validate that they can at least conceptualize, you know, a decent structure um, that they can, you know, produce something in a, in a time time constrained manner. I might get them to do a Loom video critiquing the website to see do they understand the basic you know, requirements of, of, 
a well-functioning website. So there's some of the tasks that I'll typically set to try and help, um, you know, get the right candidate. Yeah, I like the idea of sending them those kinds of tasks. So you mentioned blog and Loom video. What are the other three? Um, you know, if, it, if it's more technical, I might let them uh, have access, access to Google Analytics um, and get them to sort of do do review and see what insights that they can garner from that. Um, I, I try and get them to, to kind of critique the messaging. Do, do they understand the proposition? Do they see the value in it? Um, do they understand the kind of marketplace? Um, I'm trying to think the other couple on my list, I don't have them to hand, but, but it's generally you know, aligned with the role, right? Trying to kind of understand, you know, can you write is kind of a, kind of, is kind of a key piece. And then can you at least demonstrate some understanding of, um, you know, how a B2B SaaS website should work, right? You know, you, you will, you, you know, another thing I, I will often ask them to kind of really explain what we do, right? You know, and, and again, it depends which client I'm working for, but, you know, and that's not in front of an internet camera, or, you know, can, can they, give a decent explanation as to kind of what the core proposition is and you know in a busy world where they might be you know trying to you know apply for lots and lots of roles you kind of do want to just be clear that they've at least a rudimentary understanding of the broad category that you're in and, and that you kind of your, your site and what it's uh, standing for yeah interesting um on the others on the other hand and this was the dark side of that is if you're interviewing a range of people if you interview 10 marketing candidates and none of them are able to describe what it is that you do you need a marketing person <laughs> yeah no no that, that's exactly right i mean you know that's exactly right now the the, the, the tricky thing is and, and that's the other problem right in particular in ireland you, you're probably not going to get 10 candidates right so this is the other challenger you're trying to select from probably three or four. Um, the other quality actually worth mentioning is um, they got to be asking questions. You know, it's it's a real kind of key um, element for me because, you know, you got to, you know, ask questions to learn. Like things aren't always clear. So it's got to be a dialogue, a conversation, not, not kind of very much a monologue for me. Yeah, yeah, they have to be curious because you want right. them to figure out the customers, what makes the customers tick, why they engage with certain things and why they don't engage with others. So they do need that curiosity and inquisitiveness at the start. And what's the number one mistake you see SaaS companies making when they hire marketing people? I think we touched on this earlier in the call, Marie. So um, I think it relates to probably hiring, trying to, like when I see things like growth hacker, you know, for a company that's just raised raised some some change, and they're um they're 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 really they don't have a product market fit, right? They don't have a product that's in the marketplace in a defined category, and I'm like, mm. so I think it goes back to this product marketing piece. You know, or at least that initial tranche of work has to be, you know, we have these assumptions, we need to validate the assumptions. To validate them, we need to talk to people that we believe represent the personas or the ideal customer profiles that we're going to target. We can't be in a rush to try and sell. We got to learn first and talk to people. Um, I mean, I went working in a role once whereby I was new to the area. And, you know, I, I'm based in London, right? So I simply went into LinkedIn and I put in, let's say, the word procurement. Procurement Connections London came up with five or six names. And I went to meet them all. I bought them coffee or bought them lunch. I didn't sell to one of them. That wasn't the objective. It was for me to understand 
how do people like them buy how do they see the world from their side of the fence so that's the one thing i see that that that, that the problem is that people skip that step and they go straight into let's go and go crazy trying to bring in leads without doing the step of understanding the ideal customer what's your favorite question to ask in interviews my favorite question in interviews um well i like the one just tell me about yourself right i think you can be otherwise it can be very robotic right and you're kind of it can be very kind of you know focused on competencies and trying to unpack um you, you know whether they're fit for the role but actually learning a little bit about the person and uh, trying to understand their context and uh, and it's a very open-ended question right so you can kind of be taken in all different directions so i kind of quite like that one um, and then, of course, if I was being hard-nosed about what question is sort of best to, to kind of try and help make a decision, I think it's the one about, um, you know, when you set them a simple task, um, you know, it's a kind of a little test to see are they going to actually, you know, deliver on, on what they are being asked, right? And it's easy, as you said earlier, it's easier to talk about stuff in, in the future, but a very little task is kind of a you know an escalation of commitment or you know did they listen do they understand the task and do they actually take action on it and you know by five o'clock that evening well i always ask for by five o'clock just send me the two blogs you've written that you're most proud of right because they'll have talked about content they've written so it's not like it's a huge task it's like literally cut and paste them into a browser type in my email get it to me before five lots of people don't do it and then you know, is that being hard-nosed? I don't know. When, whenever I work with recruiters, they're pretty happy with that approach, right? You need a way to try and um, try and validate if someone is, is, is going to be doing what they say they'll do, and that's as, as easy a test, a test as any, right? Thanks very much for speaking to me today. It was really useful. Um, I certainly learned a lot about hiring marketing people for SaaS startups. Great. Thanks so much, Marie. Delighted to have been on the show. Thanks so much for taking your time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hiring Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want more content like this, be sure to subscribe and visit our site, hirehive.com.